Welcome to Bonafide, conversations in good faith about faith with Jonathan Storman. We have a breaking news story to tell you about. A plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. Today we've had a national tragedy. Christianity, it's under siege. Study after study shows Christianity is not the force it once was. But we are going to protect Christianity. Even before COVID, a growing number of Americans were moving away from organized religions. The group called Religious Nuns has steadily grown. All right, y'all, welcome back to Bonafide uh, Good Faith Conversations about Good Faith. Um, I'm here today with Travis who I went to Harding and ACU with, um, although we really don't know each other very well. We definitely know, I, I definitely knew of you. Uh, where'd you grow up at, Travis? I'm from a little town of Leander, Texas, just outside of Austin. Okay. Are you a big country music fan? <laughs> I used to be until it all went to hell, but... Um... <laughs> it's kind of mandatory to be a country music fan in a little town in Texas. You'd be surprised. Um, thankfully that's, there, there's some better stuff out there now, but anyway, that's not what we came here to talk about. I guess. So. <laughs> so, um, you, what made you go to, we, so you go to Harding in 99, just like I did. What made you go to Harding? Um, a couple things. Um, one was a girl sort of, um, <laughs> sure. And it wasn't that I went there for her. I just wouldn't have even known about it if it hadn't been for her. It was a girl I was dating, and we went up there to visit together. And I was like, oh, this place is pretty cool. Um, we were broken up for even one of us got there, but so that was kind of irrelevant. But but I, but she did, you know, introduce the place to me, and I liked it a lot. I felt kind of at home there, and then they ended up giving me a full tuition scholarship, and so that kind of sealed the deal. What? Yeah. So I, I got the opposite of a full tuition scholarship. <laughs> I'm still paying for my education. Oh, man. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I completely wasted all that money. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That, that doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> but, you, were you a Bible major? I was. Um, I started out pre-med. That didn't last very long. Um, I felt like I wanted to go into ministry, um, which we will probably get into the details of why that was a horrible idea for me in the, in, later on. Um, but I switched after, I think, one semester to youth ministry, intending to go into, like, MFT, like marriage and family therapy and counseling and stuff, was my thought at the time. So um, you did great. Did you take all three semesters of Greek? I, th- I think I just took two at Harding. I took another two at ACU later. Um, maybe three. I don't even remember. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I think... Somewhere around junior year, I switched to missions and ended up finishing out with the youth ministry and missions double major. Hmm. And then, so I was, I, I did a similar trajectory. I was never a youth ministry major because I, I grew up in a 10 person church and youth <laughs> right. ministry, I was the youth ministry. Um, <laughs> but Monty Cox and those guys at Harding got me like really passionate about mission. Is that the same thing that happened to you? Yeah, that's, I could go into more detail, but that, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then you go to ACU from yep. 2004, uh, to 2006, I guess that sounds right. It was a three year program. Um, MDiv. And I did for you, for me, for- I did it in 10 years. I was okay. AC's man of the decade. So Nice, nice. Well, I didn't have yeah. anything else going on, so that's what I was doing yeah. at the time. You know? 
um, yeah, so, we got her there in 2006. So, and what? So after you get your MDiv, are you going to be a ministry, or you're you're going to go plant churches in a foreign soil? That was the plan. And I mean, back in those days, and they may still be. I've kind of lost touch with that world. Um, church planting teams were all the thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think they've kind of gone away from that. We didn't really have one. Um, by we, I mean my then wife, um, still current actually. Um, <laughs> okay. we, I meant by that that we met at ACU. So anyway, so gotcha. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're still together and still happy. So anyway, um, so yeah, we didn't have a team, um, but we did have some, I would, we thought then, eh, I guess I still would say good mentors, um, mm-hmm. and just decided just to go. We had some funds, probably not enough. Didn't have a big enough long-term plan in hindsight, but we went to Tanzania and East Africa and we enrolled in language school, kind of got the basics of Swahili and then spent the next, I don't know, year and a half really trying to become fluent. Um, we ended up there for a few more months after we did this big long research trip and lost most of our funding and found out we were having a baby all in about two days. And so then we came back. <laughs> wow. So why, what is church just, with true funding for, well, we were actually supported by a company that was owned by some, I don't know, very mission minded folks. Um, and the company folded and there went that. So, okay. I gotcha. Um, so, you know, this, we, we've been connected. Um, I, I've been trying, I, I did a, uh, incendiary Facebook post. I didn't think it was incendiary. And I, you know, I, I still think it's true, but I think I was kind of a a rear end about it apparently. Or it, I I was it was too forceful or too like social media is not a good way to communicate. So yes. you you and you and I and some others have been like communicating ever since. And mm-hmm. I I knew this about the Tanzania um, that this was a part of your story since then, but. Um, after Tanzania, what would you say your faith looked like, or what what's the journey you've been on since then? Well, that's starting in the middle of the story, but that's fine. Okay, oh, I, I'm sorry. You, no, no, you keep on no, going. I mean, I, I don't want to go back too far, but like the roots of where we ended up um, faith-wise kind of started for me when I was in high school. Um, I won't go into a whole lot of details, but I started having some doubts, let's just say that, about what the yeah. Bible was and whatever. Um and in hindsight, I can see, and I would have argued with you and told you you were wrong if you had told me this back at the time. Um, but in hindsight, it's pretty clear that the reason I, you know, pursued a Bible major and went to seminary and got an MDiv and was a missionary is because I was trying to convince myself that all the thoughts, all the things that I thought weren't true, still were true, mm. even though I never really mm. kind of never really sunk in. So um, anyway, it took me, I guess eight years of theological study to convince myself that I wasn't a believer anymore. Hmm. Um, so anyway, back to Tanzania, that was kind of the two thirds of the way through the journey. Um, all that stuff kind of started and kept on going through Harding and ACU. We ended, by the time we left Tanzania, um, we had already realized that missions probably was not the thing for us because we didn't really feel like we had a value proposition to offer really. Hmm. Um, we spent a lot of time with other missionaries of other denominations, spent a lot of time with Muslims, both 
good and bad, Christians both good and bad, like, you know, just people, right? Yeah, sure, um, right. And kind of just, they didn't need us. And they didn't mm. need anything I could tell them. Um, so when we lost on most of our funding, uh, we probably could have tried to raise more funds and gone back. But by that time, we were kind of done anyway. We loved living in Tanzania. Um, it was a great place. And the people were, by and large, pretty cool folks. And we had some good friends there and whatever. So we weren't like running away from the field or whatever. But mm-hmm. we just realized that we didn't really have anything to offer. So... When we got back, um, we were we would have still <laughs> self-identified as believers at that point. Um, landed in Austin, went back to school and got an accounting degree so that we could actually, you know, make a living. Make, yeah. <laughs> Ended up in Houston, and throughout this whole time, I mean, in Tanzania, we didn't really have a church that we were part of because I mean, we were just kind of there by ourselves, and we became gradually more and more disconnected from any churches because, I mean at the fundamental level, we could easily see the paths they were taking that were, and kind of had seen where they were going to lead already and just weren't interested in going there with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, we just gradually became more and more disconnected and didn't really, hadn't yet admitted to ourselves that we didn't really believe in this stuff anymore until I, I mean, we were kind of dancing around it in our minds, but then one day I went to talk to our friend Adam it was actually his bachelor party, and he told me that he was basically pretty much agnostic himself. I'm like, oh, well, okay, I feel better about my, you know, mm-hmm. intellectual whatever. If this guy, who's the smartest person I know, has ended up in the same place, I feel like I can yeah. to myself now. So, um, that was probably 2012, 14. I don't remember exactly. Uh, but since then, I would say faith has not been a relevant part of our lives. What What do you like identify as now, or do you, I mean? I guess the people <laughs> ask you. Sometimes I would say I'm like a, I, I would say I'm agnostic. I'm not an atheist. I don't hold too strongly to either side to call myself one way or the other. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not something I'm, that I believe in and it's not something I really care about. So, yeah. So like the, I think offline we've talked about like, this is the fastest growing religious group in the u.s is the nuns because okay and they don't want to argue they don't want to argue with you about religion um they're not super interested even though you know a lot of churches are interested in them because yeah they they raised them and they sure. you know like what they're they're wondering like was it something it's kind of like a breakup was yeah. it us was it um well, and and you alluded to it with like you could you, you were going to some churches back in 2010 or 11 or whatever, and you could see the path that they were taking. Um, is it, is there something in particular that, or was it just the intellectual? Um, it was, for me, it was primarily intellectual. And the, the, the distancing from the church community that I mentioned was more of an incidental or more of an outgrowth of that. Um, sure. I'm sure they played together. Um, to me, do you remember our friend Miller, or my friend Miller from ACU? Were you there then? You no, I, well, I probably was at some point there, but, um, well, anyway, I, I was in with him last night. Um, he lives here in this area. Um, and he is kind of taking a similar path, um, that, that I did or that we did. And he, 
he summed it up pretty well um, last night. And he said, the thing that convinced me not to be a believer was reading the Bible or studying the Bible. Um, mm. And that, that I felt like was a good way to summarize my seven years of theological education and whatever. I mean, I was chasing it hard, but. So you, was, you would say you really wanted to believe. Absolutely. I, I was just wondering what, when you say the Bible, like, so I would imagine the people that I'm that are listening to this are, you know, probably on both sides of this, right? Like sure. you got, um, although I, nuns might not really subscribe to it because they're like, whatever, we don't care, we know this stuff, <laughs> right? But you know, let's say it's people like me mm-hmm. who are trying to understand what what is it that makes this thing that's so attractive. And appealing to me, uh, what what is it that was an allergy to you? <laughs> I think that's putting it in too strong a terms. Um, for me, it wasn't okay. what I was trying to get away from. It was just something that didn't cease to matter to me. Um, but I can but I can indirectly answer your question. Um, okay, what I meant when I and what what Miller meant when he said it was the Bible that eventually turned us off to it was a realization of what the Bible is. Hmm. Um, and that, that, and the related, um, I guess, intellectual trajectory that was kind of ingrained in us as Church of Christ kids. Like, mm-hmm. we were said, here's the Bible. Or we were told, here's the Bible. Here's this thing that people say about it. Go look for yourself and study it. And that's yeah. fine. And we did that. And I took that to heart. And, like, that's kind of, I don't really take people's word for whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or just because that's part of my, maybe that's my faith history or whatever. Um, but, and that's fine. That's all well and good, but it rests on the presupposition that the Bible is actually the word of God. And if you start to question that presumption and then come to a conclusion that it isn't, there's not much left. And I know mm-hmm. that our faith is in Jesus or was, you know, as my case, but really our witness to what he is and said and did is this book that I no longer think was inspired. <laughs> And mm-hmm. therefore, it calls into question all the conclusions that I draw from it. So, like, was it problematic text in the Bible? or no. It was more what the Bible is. And ultimately, um, the, that was kind of the core uh, question, I guess, that I wanted to answer. Being a Bible major, I even wrote, like, a really horrible paper about it my freshman year. Um, in hindsight, it was really bad, but, um, that was kind of the fundamental question for me is like, what is this thing? And if all, everything I know about faith and Christian faith is rooted in this document, what is this document? Um, mm-hmm. and I came to the conclusion that it was a collection of basically stories that a group of dudes and it was all dudes decided were <laughs> an adequate witness to who God is. And, you know, granted, I understand that that's everything that they said about who they thought God was contextual to the time that it was written and the relationship they had with him and what they thought that meant and who they thought he was and all those things. Yeah. But even that acknowledgement begs the question of like, if that's what it is, like, what does God have to do with this? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like, there was um, enough emphasis on Jesus and God, like the Father, growing up, or was it just 
all Bible, Bible, Bible. I think there was. Um, I had some really good youth ministers, and I mean, I had a pretty positive, you know, church upbringing or whatever. Um, I think that a lot of the preaching missed the point, but the fact that I thought it missed the point was indicative of the fact that somebody was doing their job and <laughs> teaching me the right things, you know? Yeah, good point. Uh, that you so, knew the point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, um, so no, I think I think that was adequately handled, if that even is a way to talk about that, I'm not sure. Um, there, there wasn't anything missing. It's just that when they gave me a rabbit hole to chase, a rabbit to chase, I chased it till the end. And I don't mm. think most people do that <laughs> or they think they found the end and are content, but that's right. not my way. So are you like a pretty analytical linear thinker, like um, being an accountant? <laughs> Accounting. Uh, most people who know me are surprised when they hear I'm an accountant because I'm not typical of the of the class, I guess. Uh, you mean like former youth ministers, knife making accountants? Yeah, yeah I could see yeah, that yeah. being who, who, fun. <laughs> lived in rural countries in Africa. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the natural segue to crunching numbers. I get a lot of head tilts, you know. When I talk <laughs> my past. Um, but. Sorry, I lost track of the question. Um, no, I was just thinking, how do you think? Because it seems oh, yeah, talking yeah. to you like you're pretty, you're pretty um, good at being able to keep a line of thought and and yeah. like tracing that chasing that rabbit to the end. I'm a pretty rational um, thinker, and I would say mm-hmm. pretty linear as well. But I mean, to be fair, you're getting a summary of about twelve or fifteen years worth of. Sure. Um, experience and questioning and whatnot. So, I mean, it sounds a little more direct than it really was. It took a long time. Yeah. There's, there's a book, um, that I have referenced on this podcast before, uh, called a secular age by Charles Taylor. Yeah. Have you heard of that? Only from you. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Well, so in it, he actually says one of the things that, um, disenchanted the world was the Protestant Reformation and its three solas. Um, so, sola scriptura, which is never like, up until 500 years ago, the claims that people make about the Bible were never, like that, right. we we were grateful for the Bible, but it was never the center of our story. It, it pointed to the center of the story. And um, anyway, there's it's a whole lot more than that because it's 800 pages, but... <laughs> It, it does, it's interesting to me, because I'm grateful for the Protestant Reformation and a lot of things, but there's all kinds of weaknesses to it, and this sure. this does strike me as kind of a insight into one of those weaknesses. Is like, you chase that rabbit, you know how to read Greek, um, you've, you've done everything that we would hope, like, somebody would do, and... At the end of it, you're like, you would say you're agnostic about whether the main character in the Bible exists. Um, if you mean the main character, I mean, I'm sure Jesus existed. <laughs> no, no, I mean like God. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think we're, I mean, just by the nature of this conversation, we're talking about very specific things that we have mutual context to talk about. But for me too, or more, there was more than just that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. That was the, that was the core thing, and that was the the bedrock issue. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, being in Tanzania, um, did not help my long term faith proposition because 
I met a bunch of people of other faiths who mm-hmm. were the, who were who were of that faith because they were born that way, just like I was. And being born into something is not a good enough excuse to stick with it forever. That's right. That's um, right. Unless it stands on its own, and if it and if it works, mm-hmm. if it if it does stand on its own for people who believe differently, I don't feel like I have the credibility or be perfectly honest arrogance to be able to tell them they're wrong. So I appreciate that. I actually think that's a really good um, insight, and you have life experience to back it up. Do you remember Leslie Newbingen from your missions classes? Yes, but I don't remember anything. I mean, the name is familiar, but I don't remember any of the details. So Leslie Newbingen was a missionary to India. He was a British dude. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote Gospel in a Pluralistic Society. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, but sure. it's going to take me a second. So Leslie Newbingen comes back from India to after decades working over there as a missionary to Britain. Uh, and he's like, oh my goodness, the Western world has changed. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think like England, we American culture lags behind England by a few decades. So like what Newbingen and C.S. Lewis and those guys were responding to a long time ago, we're starting to respond to now. That's fair. But... One of the things he said was, you know, he's just trying to make sense of the world. And he, he tells that parable of the six blind men groping mm-hmm. an elephant. Mm-hmm. Do you know that? Um, okay, so for people again. listening, six blind men, one of them feels the legs of an elephant. And they're like, this must be a tree. One of them feels the nose of an elephant and says, no, this must be like a, a snake. Uh, one of them feels like the trunk or the body and thinks this must be a wall and somebody must one person's feeling a uh the tail and thinking no this must be a whip and it smells awful whatever um and so but newbingen's point is because that's a great parable for kind of secular relativism or whatever yeah and he and he says but here's the point somebody is seeing that that it and this this is the thing about like um, a secular philosophy of life. Secular is not bad. It's just a word that means uh, focusing on the immediate and today and, and this physical world. And um, But the philosophy behind it assumes you know, that somebody is seeing there's an actual elephant and six blind men are... So it's like a, it's like a way of describing ultimate reality while pretending like you're not. Does that make sure. sense? And the implication being that, you know, other religions and other whatevers are also, you know, accurately, potentially witnesses of some aspect of right. this thing. So right. but my, my point is, like, somebody, some people are wrong, and <laughs> almost every religion would say, like, they're claiming ultimate truth to the exclusion of other. And so it's not, like, I do think it has to stand on its own. Yeah. Um, and seculars kind of, like, great gift to the world is toleration. Um, okay. I think that's, I think that's like a, uh, an out, outgrowth of the Christian faith. Um, yeah, I would agree. And not, I don't know that that's going to be a long term. like speaking of trajectories. Um, I, w- I would say, you know, the recent past couple of decades would suggest that it's probably not going to be long term. Right. <laughs> and ironically in Europe, what caused a lot of like secular, um, people to return to the faith of their childhood was World War II. Yeah. Because, so I get, um, do you mind if, 
me like asking some questions. Sure. Uh, okay, so what do you take? What's your take on human beings, like the human condition? Neutral, positive, negative? Uh, that's a really vague question. I'm not sure what yeah. you mean. Well, I mean, like, are human beings basically good, oh. or are they... I th probably, I would say they're on the good to neutral. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to be... Well, that's not true. Some people want to be bad. Um, so I would say I'm neutral, recognizing that the human condition is a spectrum, right? I mean... Mm -hmm. But I think in general, most people want to get along with other people and they want to have happy families or if they care about families or whatever, but at least happy relationships as they define them and want to be seen as good. Um, there's obvious exceptions to that, but I think as a, on, if we're talking about trajectory, then yeah, I would say that, that most people are generally at least trending toward good or <laughs> intending toward trending good. towards good or so intending toward good. Yeah. Yeah, I I think so. I I think I said it offline, but in these conversations, there's been like a remarkable kind of diversity in like what causes people to lose their faith. But almost every one of the people on the other side that I've been talking to so far have like that sense of human nature, mm -hmm. and um, I I don't um, like I I don't think human beings are when it's all said and done good to each other for each other or with each other. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm not like a Calvinist total depravity, although I'm not too far away from it. Really? Um, okay. Well, yeah, like, I, I and I, I think this makes a lot more sense of, like, being able to be indifferent to religion or, like, the solution that it, it seems to try to offer, right? Like... It seems almost like religion is like not just unneeded, but almost like a problematic. Oh, it definitely if, can be, but it can be yeah, sure. for certain people as well. I mean, do you remember when the planes flew into the buildings on? Because we were both at Harding, and we were both in the Bible Majors retreat. That's right. Oh my goodness, that's right. That was it was. We, I, I remember thinking like, is this something they're like doing, telling us like as a, I don't know thought problem or something like yeah because the bible made that we didn't know if it was real or not. <laughs> i know because it happened right when we were having to leave to go out to camp dakota yeah yeah um and like there's no cell phones really back then so it's like <laughs> is little rock next my my parents thought cersei was the next target for al-qaeda <laughs> they were convinced so you know i i know that religion since then like you know you have the rise of the new atheists um like sociologically here's here's kind of my take on that you have the rise of the new atheists hitchens dawkins mm -hmm. all these people and they're they're rock stars they're on every campus you know late night talk shows and they're arguing that religion poisons everything and they didn't get a lot of people to be atheist but what they did was get that message i think embedded in our cultural imagination that religion is not good for the world. I mean, that goes back to Marx, though. I mean, sure, sure. I, but probably um, a lot further back than that, to be honest. But um, I don't it, really think well, they had anything it goes to, back, to say, per se. They were just a repackaging in the contemporary terms of an old message. Yeah, and philosophically, I think there's a lot... I don't think those guys had the best reasons not to believe in God, but I do think they made it kind of fashionable. Yeah, you know, that's a fair statement for sure. 
Um, and you know, I I get I get religion. I mean, I I think people our age are still dealing with the kind of implications of people flying planes into buildings in the name of God, and you know, certainty. You know, the like kind of religious certainty became kind of questionable for good reasons. You know, I, mean, I think that's the most questionable thing about religion is the certainty. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. And the opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's certainty. Right. So. Sure. Um, but the, the reason I was asking about this human, you know, the human condition are people basically good or not is because it seems to me people when they t like, I don't think there's a way to turn off the religion aspect that people have. Like, kind of ultimate devotion to a singular focus. Um, huh. We can di we can disagree on that, but like, I, I've I've have all these articles saved in my Evernote from the New York Times to the Atlantic to all these things about people when they turn from faith, they tend to turn towards something else. Everything from like um, the you know. The bizarre, like, m people who believe in, who lost faith in God or no longer believe in God are way more likely to believe in, like, extraterrestrial life. Interesting. Um, yeah. That does not um, parallel my Yeah, that's not or, you. Or the <laughs> yeah. of people I know who, are, who I'm having these conversations with at all. Like, I didn't turn toward anything at all. Well, no, um, so think about it this way. Instead of it being, like, weird stuff like that, think sure. about it like, um, belief in or devotion to something else like family or country or um Leslie Newbingen actually predicted politics would be our new religion and I think he was proven exactly right I've read quite a few articles about that as well uh, particularly in yeah Atlantic, I read that a lot um and the and the language that we use for politics are now like there's heretics there's an orthodoxy it's, it's you know what I mean religious. yeah it, it really creeps me out in a really bad way so that's what I'm talking about, like that kind of thing. So um, I think the article I shared with the group of people that we hang out with, um, you, I think you said you thought it was really interesting. It was that Atlantic article about um, people voting for Trump. Yeah, I remember reading it, and I remember thinking it was pretty good, but I don't remember much of what it said. It was too long ago. So it, it, it basically, it was called America's Empty Church Problem, and it was talking about how, like, um, the people, you know, the 81% of white evangelicals voting for Trump was, um, it, it's mentioned all the time, and I bet you and I both know plenty of white evangelicals who voted for Trump, but yeah. most of the ones that I know did not, or um, weren't, if they were, they were very not happy about it. Like, you know, they right. lifelong Republican or something like that. Um, if you're listening and you're a Trump supporter, I'm not trying to, like, bash you or whatever. I'm having a conversation. But um, it said, basically, it wasn't a sign of America's Christian uh, base succeeding. It was a sign of it weakening. Because the... Absolutely correct. Right. It said the majority of people who were, like, um, who were identifying as evangelical were people who weren't like church people. They were like in a Facebook prayer group or something. <laughs> right. So if they got to click something on the 
census that that's what they're going to click but they haven't had to be at church with you know people who are different than them or in different yeah. categories than them and so um the thing and so part curious, of oh sorry go ahead you're, you're no no you go ahead interrupt you the thing that's been scary no, that's it. about that is the church people that are like the actual church people that are still big supporters of i'll just say trump trumpism because it goes beyond trumpism trump. yeah um sure. try it's tribalism right yeah and i think and I, I i agree with the conclusion of that article that it was more of a weakness in the in what they construed as their faith than it was a strength of or an affinity for Trump. They were trying to replace something that their their faith never gave them. Yeah. Um, maybe that was a sense of belonging. Maybe it was just somebody with a loud enough voice that they got excited about it again. Because I mean, I, don't, I haven't known too many preachers that can really get you riled up. <laughs> none, none taken. None taken, Travis. <laughs> you are actually one of the exceptions, but. Um, oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah. But anyway, so, um, so yeah. You know, I I do think um, the the myth of progress, of which I would used to be a huge believer in, because it, it was, a, I believed in the human condition. The myth of progress could be summed up the belief that humans can be perfected and enough, human yeah. communities can be perfected. And, um, I mean, I, I'd ask, how was that COVID experience for you guys? Like, <laughs> the mask and the... How's, how do you think this Ukraine thing, if it if it doesn't seem like, you know, the world is, human beings just keep, you know, coming back to the same kind of well, stuff? I mean, COVID for us is like us living our best lives. I mean, my wife, and I, my wife and daughter and I are all kind of quiet people who are introverted and keep to ourselves. We're like, cool. Everybody, <laughs> everybody else is doing exactly what we want to do, you know? <laughs> so. um, but I mean, like, mask. How, oh. how was, like, you... How did mask become like a over my dead body, you know, or or whatever it was? You know, I do. I have no idea. I have thought about that quite a bit, and I just can't figure it out because it's so irrational that there's just no. It doesn't make any sense to me. Sure. And, And you mentioned Ukraine. I think that's. I think that's one dude, um, who's a bit nuts who controls what all of his people hear, um, but I'm like Facebook friends with some Russian knife makers because, you know, it's a, not, that, <laughs> not that small, not that big of a little community. You know? And some of, them oh, wow. like, some of them are like, some of them are like, I'm ashamed of what my country's doing. This is bad. Like, this is really bad. Sure. But there's more of them than you would think. They're like, yeah, go Russia. We're going to win. And they're like sure. super excited about it. And I, I don't, I don't really have, I guess I don't really have a place in my understanding for extremists of any kind it just they just don't, sure. I, just don't I don't understand the motivations i don't understand why maybe it's just because i'm i'm geared to be a moderate like there's nothing in my genes that's going to be extremist about anything i just can't do it yeah um but i just don't understand it yeah um, and i can't relate to people that are that way because it, it's it's outside of like the way my brain it can work i can't even i can't even like empathize my way into the their way of thinking and i usually can i'm usually pretty good at that but um not I, with people like I th- that i think i'm a moderate too like I, I, everybody probably thinks they're a moderate <laughs> true but I, I i do think i think like that often like i i vote independent <laughs> actually i vote for jesus of nazareth every four years but locally i vote independent <laughs> 
Um, the but here's what I was I was saying on the myth of progress because I think it pertains to kind of like the social stuff and and what we're I feel like progress worked. You know, did you ever see that John Stewart movie? It was directed by John Stewart. Uh, mm where it was about like the Democrats versus Republicans. No. Anyway, the Democrat said, uh, uh, said to her Republican counterpart in doing an election for a local thing, like, I'll bet you a hundred bucks. I can do more with shame than you can with fear. (laughs) And I think, I think progress was, uh, you know, often with great language also had a ugly side, which was Mm -hmm. shame based. And, you know, like if you didn't see the world this way or vote this way, you know, shame on you. Look at who you're hurting and those kind of things. And I think, I do think politically there was a bit of a backlash to, to that kind of stuff. But anyway, I was just trying to make sense. I was trying to close the loop on the kind of stuff that we've been talking about with reacting to church. So Travis, here's a question for you. Do you miss anything about church? Yeah. Or faith? No. What do you miss? Yeah, yes and no. Um, I miss having a group of people. Um, yeah. It doesn't really bother me that much. Cause I really, I'm an introvert and I don't, my, my group of people is small and it's always going to be, and I'm usually fine with that. Um, but like, I do kind of miss having, a network beyond just like work. Um, yeah. And there's other ways to find that. I don't feel like religious faith communities have any kind of monopoly on that. I feel like sure. there's thousands of different types of communities where you can find that and that do it well. Um, but I do miss that. And church is the easiest way that I know in America now to find that. Um, I kind of miss singing, oddly enough. Yeah. We just don't do that, you know? It's not, some, it's yep. not like 18th century Britain where people just get around and sit around and start singing because there's nothing else to do, you know? Um, yeah. Would be kind of cool, but other than that, not really. Like, I miss I miss doing those things that I don't get to do anymore, um, unless I, like, yeah. specifically seek that out. But I've got other things I'm going to spend my time with if I'm going to be seeking it out. Um, I sometimes kind of miss just the ability to believe something naively, mm. you know, without questioning it. You're just like, Hey, we're all in this together and we all think the same thing and that's great and wonderful. But the world just isn't that way. Um, mm. And I think losing that naivete more broadly is part of the reason I, I feel like I lost it religiously as well. Um, I don't know. That makes it sound like I think that everybody's bad and the world's going to hell, but um, more in the handbasket type than the literal type. Um, <laughs> you're agnostic about the literal type, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, and I do sometimes miss miss that, but not really. I mean, it doesn't take me long to be like, yeah, but what you got's better. Um, and that's a certain, or that's, and what I think I have is better is a comfort with uncertainty or with, mm. yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll stop right there. <laughs> that sounds about so. Right. I have I I I I I've had like religious experiences that I feel like um, are uncategorizable, like okay. mi- like mystical experiences. I feel like I'm saying all that to say I I feel like 
I am as confident as I have been in my life that there is a God and Jesus is a son. Sure. Again, I could totally be wrong. Um, but I'm very okay with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like one of the challenges that we bring to modern faith and that you, you and I, our generation is the tip of the spear of it, is that we were taught to evaluate ultimate reality through the lens of the scientific criticism, right? That's not unfair, yeah. So, like, even even in our training with uh, undergrad and graduate school, we were taught textual criticism, source criticism, mm-hmm. all these kind of scientific, you know, things that were super helpful to do what it was doing, except it really wasn't all, yeah. all that helpful. Like, so science is great, and it's actually an out, outgrowth of the Christian faith. Sure. Um, but it to, like, try to, like, find God in science is a categorical error. Right, like, so, like, I have all kinds of uncertainty because I'm just a creature. Like, I can't know everything. But that doesn't set opposite my my devotion to Jesus as Lord. Sure. It sits comfortably alongside it. Well, so it is there for a long time, and that's why it took us so long to, comp- to finally admit that this is not something that we were holding on to anymore. Yeah. So I'm comfortable with that, too. It was just that instead of, at some point, and I don't know when it was, and it probably never was a single point, um, it flipped from, is this something, let me see if I can say this the right way, is this something that I can, not something that I'm going to move away from, but is it something I can still hold on to? Um, and eventually it, the answer became no. I mean, we weren't, I'll probably say this till I die. It wasn't something I was trying to leave. And I wasn't trying to convince myself that all these things weren't true. In fact, the opposite is true. Um, and yes, that is a rationalistic, call it Western enlightenment way to approach things. But that wasn't the whole picture either. Um, yeah. I remember I wrote on the Facebook group, I don't know if you ever reread it just before this, just so I'd be fresh in my mind. Um, for me, there was also a complete lack ever of any of that other stuff that's maybe, I won't say non-rational, but unrational, right? Or ah-rational, mm. I want to be weird about it. Um, where, like mystical uh, experiences or anything like that. None right. of that ever happened to me. And I, and I wanted it. And I hmm. looked for it, and I dug for it, but it just never happened. Um, hmm. I never, that's not a part of my brain that works, <laughs> if, it's, <laughs> if, it's, if that's even where it's rooted. I don't even know. Um, so it wasn't so much that I was reliant entirely on a rationalist understanding of all this stuff, a rationalist connection with all this. It was more of like that's the only thing I ever had. Yeah. And the community, yeah. like I said earlier, I mean, the faith community was a big part of my staying around for as long as I did. But ultimately, there are a lot of other effective communities that get people the same things they need. Um, hmm. That are completely like Kiwanis or something like that. Well, yeah, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You, 
Okay. Is, is that better than Kiwanis? I don't, I don't know anything about them, honestly. But like, even like being part of a darts club, um, when I was in Africa as an accountant, we had a darts team and that was like the best thing we did because we would all get together. And Anyway, um, point being that there's a million different ways you can connect with other people in the ways that you need to connect them, to connect to them, to live a fulfilling life that don't have anything to do with religion. Um, and that's not a knock against religion. That's more sure. of an observation that there's a lot of other things out there that give you what you need. Um, so I don't know. Like I say, we weren't moving away from anything. We just lacked, we, I, I include my wife in this. We just lacked the, uh, the anchors. Maybe we lacked mm-hmm. the, we just couldn't hold on anymore. We mm-hmm. tried. Man, I, I have great sympathy for y'all uh more so since i started this podcast than before mm-hmm. because you know like on that um facebook group we've been a little like you know argumentative from time to time and by we i mean i'm me i mean me <laughs> <laughs> well the reason that group works is because we all know each other from way back and we know that nothing that's said there is said with anything but the best of intentions and so i don't think yeah. there's, any, there's not going to be any hurt feelings out of that group yeah i think so too but i I also, so part of me, I have sympathy for y'all because I can't imagine losing this like most important part of me mm-hmm. and, and not wanting to. I mean, like I've had seasons of aggressive doubt, like crippling doubt. And, you know, I, I get paid to do this, yeah. but I think that's kind of normal throughout church history. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody from Mother Teresa to Augustine have had these seasons and and so it but for me to hear all of y'all say like man we didn't want this it it says something to me like as a church leader like okay what are we doing where the most important thing we have to give is not the communal benefits because a darts team can do just as well the most important thing we have is god and if we're not like and and you know god does what god does if if there is a god and so you can't like manipulate God's presence to do certain things. But if, if I'm doing a Ted talk and we're just doing like a community singing, that is too small of a thing to give my life to. Mm -hmm, And so part of me is just trying to make sense of this. So Travis, let me ask you this. If you could go back to a time, like when you believed Mm-hmm. If you could just snap your fingers and have it back, would you? No. Tell me more about that. That's an easy question. Um, assuming I know what I know, know what I think I know, let's put it that way. Be honest about it. I know what I think I know now. Um, you said something like, "I can't imagine my life without this," and at some point, I did exactly that. Like, I shifted my imagination said, what would this look like without this? And I realized there wasn't, the, the answer wasn't any different than what my life would, was already, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then I kind of did the same thing with God. Like, so I've believed that he's real for my whole life and I have all these reasons to believe, but what if he isn't? What would be different about the way the world works? What would be different about the way I approach the world? Um, what would be different about the way I raise my kid? And other than going to church, like with my kid, the answer is nothing really. Um, 
So I don't think I, I think, I think if I could go back, I wouldn't just because I've, I've done that, that thought experiment for decades. Hmm. Um, and that's why it's part of why it took me so long to leave. Um, Was it hard on your family when you did? Oh, we don't talk about it. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Uh, you, I, mean, we don't, we don't I think like that's that. like a hundred percent. I think that's the hundred percent answer that I, I'm getting from people is like, I mean, it makes Thanksgiving weird for a couple of years, but we don't talk about it. There's just, there's just no reason to talk about it. Right. I mean, there's what, what are you going to gain from that? Um, it's not yeah. like we're trying to avoid it, but it would hurt them. It wouldn't convince me. I mean, we create all these bad results with no, no profit. Um, so there's really just no reason to bring it up unless the right family members. I mean, there's certain ones obviously that you have a better relationship with or whatever. Um, so like my brother, we talk about, it. um, a lot of my yeah. friends that are still Christians, we talk about it sometimes, but there's also my family members and they if they never know, it's probably better for the world. there's just nothing yeah like there's nothing to be gained by you know yeah yeah uh, overturning their their presuppositions like uh, why what's the point Um, so So i have sometimes and just do do the religious you ever have to lead a prayer at thanksgiving or anything i I, (laughs) they don't ask me anymore (laughs) (laughs) and and i think i think they kind of know um, they know we don't go to church, um, so I haven't been asked to do that in a long time. Um, but like, for example, I went fishing with my dad last spring break um, with this group of guys that he's been fishing with on spring break for like 40 years now. They're all old. And they invited me because they knew, the only other guy who knew how to catch bait besides my dad like had just had a knee replacement. <laughs> so they needed somebody <laughs> who could help him catch bait. <laughs> Well, I, none of them really know any about that, but, um, okay. but I've known them all since I was a little kid or whatever. And like, we had this worship service on Sunday and I sang the songs with them and took yeah. communion with them and it was fine. Um, was, I don't see any problems with any of those things. And my disbelief doesn't, to me, preclude me from participating in their, the acts that usually are associated with that. Um, but I didn't want like, it would have just been disruptive and destructive i think to say you know what i don't believe this junk anymore i'm not going to participate so that happens sometimes um where we just go along um but anyway you said that imagining your life without god uh wouldn't change it and it wouldn't change the way you raised your kid do you mind like is there anything that you're like i don't know Um, Concerned about her missing, not growing uh, up the way you did? <laughs> yeah, but probably not the things you would think. Um, sure. I mean, I miss that she won't have biblical literacy. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, everything, in all, nearly all good literature, or even articles in the Atlantic, or right. by completely secular people, reference biblical stuff all the time. All the time. That's right. Constantly. It's everywhere. And most yeah. people, I, well, I don't know most people. That's a big, that's a big assumption. Um, I would venture to guess, let's put it that way, that a lot of the times those references are used, people don't realize where they came from. And they don't right. realize the context to give them the meaning that they have. And to me, meaning is all about context. Um, right. So, so I do kind of miss that for her. That Yeah. 
I, I mean, I had to explain what a shibboleth was and why that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But like, it's a pretty dark it. story. Yeah, yeah. But I know what, I know what it means. People use it, and we know what mm-hmm. it means. It's like an indicator whether you're in or out, right? But like, yeah, there's a story behind that. She she's just not going to know, and I feel like her life will not be as her literary life will not be as rich as it could be. Mm. Um, wow. And, and we had groups of friends growing up that she's not going to have. Like we always had a group. Um, and in, like most groups of friends like that, there's ones you're closer to and ones that you're not, but they're still part of your group. And like a perfect example, I'm here in Red River, New Mexico. And one of those people that <laughs> my mom literally took her mom to the hospital when she was being born. Right. So we go way back. Mm. Um, we met together for coffee. I hadn't seen her in 15 years, but there's those connections with those people from, from religious life that my kid is not going to get. And she just doesn't have anything to replace that. Yeah. I, I think so the hell in the handbasket comment earlier. Um, I, I think I've beat on this drum quite a bit, um, in our group, but, I just want to hear your take on it. I think the same way that biblical literacy is just, it's ubiquitous and taken for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think morality is the same way. Like um, the, you know, kind of, uh, the, the incendiary post that I originally wrote was that in a world without Jesus, senior saints or seniors wouldn't be the ones who were getting the vaccines first. In fact, they might not get it. So, for example, in Russia, they didn't. Oh, really? um, not initially. Yeah, like, so it, it seems incendiary because I think we take so many things for granted of, you know, not not like, I'm not like a, you know, America's a Christian nation, <laughs> you know, bring, make America Christian again or whatever. I'm not saying that. What I'm, what I'm saying is, like, even the tools that we use to work out morality, uh, whether when we're talking about this isn't just enough. Well, justice is the way we define it is pretty Christian. No, I agree. Like, and and I don't think I think our our kids I think they're going to still breathe that air for a while. Yeah, so I don't I think, think this right. is like. But I do think that the kind of the Christian ethics don't work without the Christian metaphysics. So, well, I guess we'll see. <laughs> I know. And that, that's kind of like the drum that I'm beating on. Like, it's not, it's not our kids. It's our grandkids. And by the way, whether our grandkids take care of us when we're old and senile may depend on, True. you know. So part of it is, like, I, I don't think. I, and by the way, if it's not true and it's not real, then may it rest in peace. May it just go away. But um, I think when when people came to the realization that God died the most shameful death of a common criminal, it called into question all kinds of things that had never really been called into question before. And, you know, like, what does it mean to be human? Which human beings count? Which people right. should have, uh, per- you know, what does it mean to be a person? And I, most, I think most of the Western world has been working through those those questions for the last at least 70 years and probably more like 700. But um, particularly since, I don't know if you want to put a date on it, even though I think that's too specific, say the end of World War II, um, most of the governments in the world 
are explicitly explicitly secular. They're adamantly non-religious because mm-hmm. people are trying to find that answer. But you're right. In the Western world. In the Western world, right? But you're right. So all those things that we consider to be right and true and just and whatever are potentially fundamentally based in a Christian ethic. But you could also make the counter argument that says that a Christian ethic is fundamentally based on, you know, human nature. Um, I mean, which one is the card and which one's the horse or the chicken or the egg? I don't know. Um, yeah. So this is what I, this is what I mean with like the human nature question, because I, I don't think we would have ever come up with the idea that racism was wrong. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the answer to that question. You might be right. So, Um, well, I mean like think about just human history and the thousands of years, like, um, yeah, of course you're going to think the people that are like you that are in your tribe that talk like the shibboleth story is a great example because judges is not written you know, prescribing it, it's describing it. It's saying, this is what it looks like when people don't have a King and they don't, you know, um, so uh, judges is actually a great book to like describe human nature. I think left to our own devices. Um, this is hell. Here's the hand basket. You're on your way. Right. Yeah. I mean, but super dark. That's true. But there are a lot of societies in the world that have never, encountered any kind of remotely Christian anything that are doing okay. Sure. Um, yeah, I think if you, de- it depends, I agree. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, um, I'm not trying to overstate the case. Sure. Like, I think China, for example, um, although China has more they're doing Christian. Okay, but <laughs> well, I mean, like, there, there's this guy named G.K. Chesterton. You ever yeah. heard of him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Chesterton had this point that I, I have been fascinated by for the last two decades where he's writing to post-Christian Europe and he's saying, um, imagine Christianity like a city. And if you want to know what the city's like, the best way to do it is to grow up inside the city. And you, mm-hmm. you would know like all the alleys and the, you know, different mm-hmm. parts of the city. But the second best way is to go to a far off mountain and look at the city from outside okay and then you could see what it really is and i think for most people that are my peers who i care about who have like walked away from faith what i try to do like in a facebook group for example is get them to look at it from outside does that make sense yeah i was gonna say though that's exactly that that maybe more than any other single thing um is ultimately what led me to let it go is looking hmm. at it from outside. Um, looking at Say it more about that. Inside. Well, I mean, you, anybody can look at something as an insider and think that th- those things are good. It doesn't even matter what the thing is. Um, if you're part of that, part of that, then it's to you. That's what things are, should be, right? I mean, it feels warm and familiar. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I don't think there's any limit to what that thing can be. I, if you're an insider, that's the thing that's true to you. Um, but if you can look at something as an outsider, like really an outsider. And the, the way that started for us was knowing a bunch of outsiders and <laughs> seeing how they looked at mm-hmm. it. Um, but ultimately kind of shifting the mindset, even before we were out, we would, con- even before we would have considered ourselves outsiders, shifting your mind to look at it from their perspective. That's. Yeah, no, I'm not saying, 
No, no, I get it. I, I, I think you're exactly right. But what I'm saying is I'm trying to get people to back even further up to okay. see like the big picture, which is like, you know, every almost every hospital has is named after a saint like Christianity invented orphanages and hospitals and human rights and leprosoriums and gave the world Bach and Mozart and, you know, the, the you know Bach would sign his stuff to the glory of God and Mother Teresa sure. and Martin Luther King Jr. and all these different things that if Jesus of Nazareth was not born would not have happened. No, that's um, true. and that's then, what I mean, like stepping outside, like far away, so that you can saying, see, like. But saying that those things are true, that none of those things would have happened without. I mean, that's historically indisputable, right? But but but. Or that the value that humanity derived from those things would not have arisen otherwise. I mean, we can't even answer we can't answer that question. We can say that this this happened and this wouldn't have happened otherwise, but we sure. can't say what would have happened if something else had happened. I mean, that's. I that's I possible. do think it's a, I think it's a fascinating thought experiment. I ask people Fair this enough. all the time: um, Is the world better or worse? And in what ways is it different if Jesus of Nazareth had never been born? It's a good question, and I would I would even I would even say that I think it would be worse. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, I just I I think um, it's a good thought experiment, and anyway, but well, Travis, I really appreciate getting to talk with you. I appreciate the kind of open hearted nature of you talking and yeah, no sharing your story. Um, and thanks for being part of the Facebook group that kind of yeah. started all of this. No problem at all. Um, it's been I, I guess we need to promote you as an accountant. <laughs> so it's, it's tax time. I guess if you need your accounting, I don't, I don't actually do taxes and I really don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you make nice, recording. but they're, yeah, yeah. they're not for sale. <laughs> oh, they are. They're just not for order. Um, yeah, I gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Do I get a like free knife for doing this podcast? I mean, uh, maybe. I could talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I really appreciate you. Thanks for taking time to talk about something that matters a lot to me. Thanks for listening to Bonafide. If you like what you've heard, please share with your friends and review on whatever platform you get your podcasts.